You're listening to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APEC region. I am Danielle, Senior Consultant in Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect business with tech talent. And today, I am your host. So um, welcome everyone to another installment of our podcast. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the topic of the modern product managers. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by two senior thought leaders within the product space. So we have Mark um, and the head of product of CoinHako and Rashindu, the chief product officer of Powers ID. So to start with, it would be great if each contributor could give a brief introduction about themselves. Um, maybe let's start with Mark. Alrighty, <clears throat> thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, good to meet you, Rashindu. Uh, so yeah, as you said, I'm I'm currently heading the product on on CoinHako. What CoinHako? What we do is we basically started as a as a crypto wallet, just to store, send, and receive crypto, and then we sort of evolved to be able to buy, sell, swap uh, uh, a nice set of uh, coins. And then now what we're doing is we're working, evolving that to be able to cater for a wider range of uh, crypto traders, as well as to be able to earn uh, passive income through the crypto that you own. That's mostly for the retail side. And then we're working on the non-retail side where we are sort of starting to serve uh, high net worth individuals as well as any any non-retail. So basically institutions, funds, and family offices and whatnot as well to get into the crypto space where we're seeing that the appetite is growing quite a lot as the, the industry has been maturing. Then uh, in terms of background, I've been, I spent a lot of time, I always say like when the product side is always a bit funny, like everyone's story is so different. I started actually starting my own company, didn't go very far as a fresh grad, then it got into consulting and innovation, then moved into e-commerce and digital space. And that's where I got into more like uh, growth work, um, acquisition, optimization, CRO, and then I delved fully into um, the product side of things. So I've done mostly growth work and innovation work in the past. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the, the quick summary. Um, now on to you, Rashindu. Hi, thanks, Diane. Thanks for having me as well. And good to meet you, Mark. You know. Um, so yeah. A bit about myself, I'll start with, so uh, I'm Rashindu Cruz uh, from Sri Lanka. I uh, moved to Singapore uh, in 2019, so been in Singapore uh, three plus a bit of, bit of years. So moved here just before the pandemic, so good times there. Uh, <laughs> and in terms of like, you know, my, my career, like, you know, I've, so right now I'm serving as the Chief Product Officer for uh, Pulse. Uh, looking across, you know, four intersections of the organization uh, from product management and design, the product development, uh, as well as the product quality and deployments. So um, uh, if I look at my career, like, so I, I have been actually in the industry for a little over 10 years and, you know, all my life actually been uh, working as a product uh, person, like, you know, from a very junior level to like now a very senior level as well. So uh, I worked across a couple of domains, uh, started in the travel technology, working working with, you know, airlines, uh, helping build them the holiday packages, like holiday products and all, and then moved into uh, capital markets. That's where I started my fintech career. Uh, looked at actually building a new product line for capital markets uh, for London Stock Exchange Group, uh, where we build the depository products. Uh, we were deploying the solutions for Singapore Exchange. So, uh, Worked there for nearly three years, like in a building, uh, the depository product, uh, and where I actually got the chance to really connect with the uh, 
uh, startup experience where I start, I, I engage with a, a new startup uh, where I build the product from ground zero and took them through you know, a couple of growth phases as well. Uh, it was a digital payment wallet, first of its kind in the country. Uh, we went through a lot of challenges, a lot of evolutions, like, you know, one lot of like, you know, admirations and awards and everything. Uh, so back in like, you know, mid 2019, uh, it, the business and the operations and the product, everything was actually acquired by a bank. That was when I decided to uh, move to Singapore. Uh, I moved to Singapore with Pulse ID. So um, what is Pulse ID? So Pulse ID is a, a loyalty ecosystem and infrastructure. Uh, uh, that actually drives adoption and uh, adoption for payment and crypto linked payments uh, with merchants and CC users. So um, what we do in, in, in the crux of things when you look at it is that uh, we drive engagement uh, for the, the, the financial institution users through uh, merchant funded offers. Uh, that actually also uh, like helps the the merchants and what we call the advertisers to really like you know uh, find an audience and drive uh, more and more audience and you know incremental revenue to it. So uh, we also like you know uh, look at uh, in terms of building that infrastructure for the financial institutions in the space of loyalty, especially around the the space of uh, like you know merchant funded offers and you know uh, providing that uh, performance marketing piece. All right, thanks for the summary as well, Rashindu. Um, great to get have you guys on the call. Um, yeah, so we'll dive right into the podcast. So today, as I mentioned, we're talking about the modern product manager. I mean, I hit the product desk in evolution. So I mean, I do understand there's a few characteristics that certain you know hiring managers do look out for. But I would love to understand, you know, in today's market, what do you guys feel, you know, are the functions of a product manager? You know, I mean, key functions, what you're looking out for, or maybe when you hire yourself. Um, yeah, maybe we can start with you, Mark. Right. Um, so the classic answer, it depends, just because it depends on the, the product face and the size as well. So it, it will depend quite a lot on the product maturity and whether you have achieved product market feed or not. But I think there's always certain fundamentals that at least we look for. And I always split between the soft skills and the hard skills or what we call the PMSNs, which is basically you as a person. And then we've got the hard skills, which I like to refer to Ravi Mehta's the, the 12 competences of a PM, which maybe I can I can explain a little later. But basically when, when we hire, we look for, uh, the first thing I always ask uh, is, do you like working with people? You know, because as a PM, you're gonna be spending a lot of time talking to people. So if you don't like working with humans, if you wanna have your own, focus time with your computer and no one really bothering you much, maybe product management may not be your place to be. Um, and then the second one is, are you comfortable with debate and having to really back up your thoughts and points? Because and in uh, at least what I, what I tell the product team, doesn't matter if you're a PM, product designer, tech lead, anyone should be able to hold their opinions. Um, but one of the traits that we always look for is are you, do you, are you, are you opinionated, but are you adaptable? What do we mean by that is, did you do enough research to hold an opinion onto whatever you are defending? But at the same time, do you hold on to that loosely that as, as you learn new stuff about what you're talking about, you can adapt to the new set of information? Because if you, if you don't take that approach, there's two things that most likely will happen. One, people that work with you will find it a bit challenging to work with you. 
And second is um, you may not have much fun because you'll find like you are constantly fighting, you know, with the world. Like, and we all have different points of view and backgrounds. So it's very important. So these these are one of the main things. So working with people, second being, you know, comfortable with arguing, arguing, no, backing up your thoughts and um, communicating. So being able to communicate clearly. So because um, it it's very hard for the team as well to like, you need to gain trust. But if, if you don't have clarity of thought and you make your 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 ideas clear, it's very hard to get buy-in from anyone or get the output that you, your vision out of the door as you desire it to be. So these are the three things I, I, I look for. Then there's a fourth one as well that we really look for, which is how curious are you? Like for me, I've always been a curious cat. Like that's why I've always done like, uh, like you tell me, oh, how zippers work? I want to know, like, how does that zipper? I don't know, like, just I get interested in whatever. So I think as a PM, you you really have to have that innate curiosity towards things to understand how do they work or to have that empathy for, you know, if someone has a problem and why, you know, like always keep on asking the classic five whys, like why, why, why? How, and then, you know, having a bit of a problem solver or the, that systems thinker that can help a lot as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. I see you, Rashindu, you're nodding a little bit. So I guess some points that you agree on, I would love to hear your thoughts. Of course. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, there's literally like uh, none of the points that I can actually disagree on, <laughs> number one. Uh, so just to start with what you just asked about, uh, what do you really look for when you do hire a product manager? I think um, it's no brainer. It's always depends on the the, uh, the organizational need at the time. For an example, uh, we're looking at, you know, someone to maybe lead a, a product management, like uh, when you look at the product management framework of, you know, delivery, define, uh, design. So you might be just looking at someone who could actually uh, uh, fit into that, you know, a particular framework or a face of the, the product management scope, right? So, um, but before that, what I would also like to, uh, maybe like and share a couple of my thoughts is around uh, what exactly is a product and you know how how we would actually identify a product because uh, this has been a, an argument like you know kind of being you know, floating around a lot uh, when I do engage with the engineers the business the different users uh, the way that I try to always try to explain product is um, it sits in an intersection of business user and technology so uh, for a product manager there's a a large spectrum that you can actually vary on and when, when it's come to like you know providing your skills uh, as as well um and then you know touching also again upon the the same uh, aspects what you know mark was touching about the relationships the empathy uh, so this is a key part that uh, i do look for for from a product manager as well uh, how much can you actually empathize on the end user? How much can you empathize, not just your end users, uh, but your stakeholders as well? Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to really build as a product, not just necessarily for your end users, but uh, a product that actually uh, connects with the business, allows you to really commercialize your uh, business where, uh, which you, where you understand with your internal stakeholders to see uh, what are their challenges? What are they really looking for? So the empathizing is a key uh, attribute I look forward for a, a, a product manager and something that I would also encourage, especially for someone uh, who's uh, starting their career in the product management to say, uh, try to build and try to understand and you know be empath empathetic about uh, what are the other needs of the, uh, uh, the users, the stakeholders and what you get. Yeah. Seems like both of you have quite um, similar thoughts on this 
um, process, I mean, this particular topic, but actually wanted to. So basically, I speak to product managers every day. Um, the interesting is actually product managers come from a variety of educational background, you know, degrees in yeah. marketing, engineering. But the weirdest thing is that there isn't any specific undergrad course you can take for this role. I'm not sure why that is, even though quite a number of fresh grads are moving to product managers um, quite quickly. Um, so, I mean, how would you guys advise a fresh grad to kind of prepare for a career in this industry? I mean, maybe we can start with Rajendu. Sure, sure. So, um, so it's quite interesting what you just brought out because, so even for myself, um, so I come from a background where I, where I actually studied my undergrad in uh, uh, town planning and designing. So yeah, I come from a, a like a quite a <laughs> exactly like you know raises certain eyebrows uh, every time I say this one. But um, so the the way that I actually see, but all my life I have been working in the product, you know, building different products for businesses and people. Uh, the way that I see, like you know, the first thing that I would actually encourage and you know provide as an advice for a like you know what you call a, a fresh graduate is. As with any uh, career, like you know, what you uh, get into, you first need to really ask, like, what are your intentions uh, in terms of, like, you know, trying to get into a, a career? Like, what what is that, you know, driving you to uh, really choose a career that you know you want to be, uh, like, you know, or considering this particular career path? Because when you really consider technology and product management, uh, these are the trending, uh, I would say, the the career paths that you know, as you said, Daniel, like you know, in the current market, so. Uh, it, you can easily get goaded by the just by the, having it as a trending uh, like you know tool where you say okay let me see if uh, if I can actually try myself out in the product management but you really need to understand yourself whether uh, whether this is something that you really want uh, and with that uh, what I would also like and encourage uh, a young graduate is to really understand is when you re when you do uh, invest yourself into like you know becoming a product manager you need to also ask yourself. Do you really understand the product? Why why is that product is there? What is that you know that they are trying to really solve? It doesn't necessarily need to be a like a uh, like a community problem or a problem that you might be facing, but it's about like and again empathizing to understand what is that uh, that you are trying to solve uh, like you know solve with that product uh, product, so you actually understand and that you can start contributing into that product. Now, in terms of you know your point around, because it has a wider spectrum of uh, uh, like you know uh, users and you know uh, like you know uh, activities that you can actually work as a product manager, you can always come from multiple backgrounds, be it marketing, be it technical, be it design, because as I said in the beginning, the product sits in an intersection of both the business, the technology, as well as the user. So there, there are multiple things that you can actually start contributing for yourself in terms of the growth of the product, the evolution of the product. So uh, for a fresh graduate, just to summarize in terms of like, you know, how do they really choose or how do they really prepare themselves to uh, start a career on the product management? The key thing is uh, they just need to figure out like, you know, is this something that they want to continue? As you know, previously, like both myself and Mark shared, you need to understand the the different activities that you would have to get involved in terms of like and as you grow in your product in your career whether those are things that you uh, you would aspire to do and within that you just you know uh, make your decisions uh, to get into a, a field a domain where you feel comfortable you feel passionate about and you feel like I need to make a change. I need to really like help grow this particular domain with my uh, own passion as well as like learning more about it. Uh, 
So that that's I would say uh, the best way, or I wouldn't say the best. That would be a way that I would advise a fresh graduate to look at in terms of entering into a product management field. All right. Okay. Thanks, Rashid. That was really good advice. I mean, I mean, there's, I think there's no like textbook way as of now on how to you know prepare for a career in, in the industry. You know, I mean, I see some people saying that all product managers should learn how to code and you know, things like that. Or, but it turns out only five percent of product managers can code, and it's not really a necessary skill set to have. So, I mean, Mark, I mean, there's certain skills, or you think that graduates should pick up when they want to join this industry? Yeah, this is this is such a good one. Um, I think this is what 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 I like to I like to say the old school product management and new school product management. Um, and I'm not it's not so much about whether you can code or not. It's it's more about how you work as a team. But the the classic one on whether you your background needs to be from computer science or not, I don't think that's the case anymore. Just because products have become so competitive, like and even users have they expect like the expectations have grown so much. So. Sometimes uh, what I say is that if the if a PM has too much of a strong coding background, potentially may not be a good thing because he will ha will have a tendency to dive too deep into how the engineers are working on solving for for a specific challenge, the, which is something that the PM should have a certain level of awareness, but should not really spend too much time there because what they from at least from how I see it in new new school problem management is they need to spend like we need to spend more time with the customers and making sure that we deliver value to those customers if we deliver value to the customers we will potentially drive business impact that's the end goal as a pm then how you get there is you really need to have a good sense of prioritization so um are you able to really so going back to your question right um what does a graduate need well, what I would what I would suggest is try to practice piecing things up. Like, okay, we we need to I don't know we need to build this. What would be the different steps to get to that end state? But maybe you don't want to reach the end state in one go, right? So maybe there's different phases. The same way we build in Singapore, there's so many condos and buildings, right? They don't build the building and it's all flashy with the with the landscaping and the pool ready to go, right? There's different phases, so. Um, I think that's 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 one uh, that in the past I feel like product management we used to ship things when they were perfect and everything was ready. Nowadays is more is more an iterative uh, approach where you need to ship fast but good. So you want to be ship a little bit, talk to the customers. Hey, how is this? Okay, and then you slowly iterate instead of trying to solve for the world at first. Um, there's there's two things I would say to then grads is obviously one what I was saying get comfortable with communicating and holding your you know uh, being able to debate but also two more would be having a good product sense at least for me it's depends on the product right you want to go into but if uh, if you want to if you're more driven to like customer or B two C driven products maybe you want to have a very strong product sense as in what is a good UX versus a not so good UX as well as something that you also might want to get very comfortable with is with data. And not just looking at data and saying, oh, that's a very nice chart, but also being able, when you look at the data, being able to drive insights out of that. So uh, maybe st start, you know, uh, looking into, you know, get getting familiar with the statistics and maybe having a bit of a kick with that. Like 
are you driven by, are you performance driven? Like, do you like to see numbers improve? You know, do you understand, you know, like, I don't know, statistical significance and, you know, some of the basic like statistics, basics that maybe in the, when we were in school, we did, we were like, okay, whatever, when am I going to use this? But it, at some point when you do product management, if you're doing, if you're experimenting or doing A-B tests, that will come in very handy. So yeah, so then to summarize for me would be communication, you know, being able to dis dissect how things work and being to think, think through, okay, how I would build this if I had to build it. And then the third one is being able to look at data and that's, that derive insight from, from numbers. Yeah, thanks for the summary. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, everyone knows, I mean, product managers are pretty essential in, I would say, startup environments. I mean, nothing is more important than having, you know, a strong and clear product vision, you know, just as important as having an entire team aligned on their vision. And that's definitely the product manager's job. Um, I mean, it's a lot of trends now. I mean, I read that day that I think one out of three of the new working force, I would say millennials, are choosing to work in startups. I mean, I see both of you as well. I mean, Russian do you came from a from um, London Stock Exchange, you know, Mark came from Visa, and then now both of you are in startups, you know. I would love to, you know, understand or have your views on how is the, the you know, responsibilities different from a MNC in comparison to a startup. I mean, Mark, maybe you could give us some of your, of your thoughts. Um, I think, uh, it, I think it boils down into two big uh, buckets, at least that I can think of. One is uh, in an MS MNC, you you work under a very clear set of processes, ideally, and you'll have many people with very specific expertises, right? So you you won't have to wear many hats. So you you'll have you'll be you'll have a very specific role and a very specific scope of work. And as soon as you move out of that, you'll have someone that you'll have to work with. And there's gonna be a specific process. And maybe you, you won't have a very big problem to solve. You'll be more of a solution to provide. But when you work in a startup, most likely what's gonna happen is we're trying to figure this out, right? So you're gonna have a big problem and no one's gonna to come to you and say, hey, this is the solution. So you'll, you'll have to, uncertainty obviously will be much bigger in a startup environment. So you need to really be comfortable with that. You need to start, you need to, you'll need to have a lot of bias for action and go talk to customers. Maybe you'll have to do more experiments. So your scope of work in a startup may be a bit wider or more vague because you, you'll have problems and the solution won't be clear cut or you won't have someone to go to. Because it's a startup, you know, you've got the people that you've got. So, you know, everyone's, you know, trying to get the stuff done. So it will be more like at a startup, probably you'll get exposed to more types of work or, or hats. For example, you won't have a, maybe a, a designer. You have to come up with a, a mock-ups and wireframes yourself. You know, you won't have a product marketer. You'll have to come up with a, with a, with a content yourself and the copy. Um, whereas... Um, in the multinational, you, you'll, you'll have um, those teams already there and you'll have to fit in certain processes, very specific timelines. For example, when we were at Visa, we had, we had one meeting at a week that we called the front door meeting where that's where we would go and we would share the ideas that we had that we wanted to push for within a very specific scope. 
Like we would not move outside of that. And and then in that meeting, if 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 the information was good enough, then you would get go no go or say, look, this is not a priority now. That in a startup, it's you don't you wouldn't I it's not that common that you have such process, but it's more about then in the startup, it becomes even more important that you can self-prioritize your time and work. Because at a startup, there's so much work. So you need to really make sure that those eight hours that you have today, you invest them in the most impactful stuff. So yeah, I think it's um, scope of work and also the the, the people uh, that you'll have available. So people, people, process, and, and product will be very different in, in, in the two different sides of the, of the story here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people I speak to, they all want to join a startup, but I don't think any of them really understand, especially fresh grad, like why it entails. I mean, Russian, did you agree with what Mark has said? Definitely. I think, uh, again, uh, for me, uh, it doesn't really uh, like make a big difference in terms of whether it's a product or engineering or whatever the other role when you actually join a startup. So um, I, when I look back, why did I join a startup? Number one, it was actually a, a different uh, a vision at the time, and I actually got to share the vision myself very intimately. So something that I would say uh, I was not at the luxury of really sharing that, you know, intimately uh, when I was at LSE. Yes, I was building the product. I was the product owner in terms of building that new repository product, but uh, not necessarily like you, know, you, so, you were so intimate to really uh, influence it in a way and to, to really shape that. Uh, so one of the key things, and I have I keep hearing this when I do interviews as well, uh, people like the autonomy, like you know that flexibility for you to really own and you know shape something. But at the same time, um, I also at like you know. Uh, alert people like you know when they say they I want autonomy like you know what does it mean because um, I think Mark touched upon this one number one for me like you know the biggest difference that you would have with a startup and a and a MNC is that capacity because you you don't necessarily have a lot of capacity uh, that you can actually distribute among multiple people so you have to like you know uh, give that you know additional not necessarily something that you might get uh, in MNC. The second thing is about uh, having have to make the decisions yourself. Uh, this can be a very lonely process, by the way, because it's not so much about like you know having multiple people around you. But I think this is uh, this is becoming a bit uh, a common, not just for startup, uh, but even for someone in the MNC. Because at the end of the day, uh, you are now actually being you know requested to make your decisions. You know as Mark said, prioritization, you know, make decisions to understand what do we do next? How do we really like, you know, evolve our product? So in certain points of like, you know, brainstorming on your own, like thinking on your own and making those decisions, you can feel yourself a little bit lonely in that process. And uh, what can actually happen within a startup is that, you know, uh, it doesn't help sometimes because the operations of a startup can be quite lean uh, because you do have a, a very limited, you know, capital that you really need to uh, allocate and, you know, use, you know, let's say in wise manner, like, and I'm sure, like, you know, how do you really uh, utilize them? So in that process, uh, as a product manager, where you're already starting uh, a journey where you could be lonely in a startup, that can actually affect you as well. So um, there, there's, there's, 
pros and cons. So uh, this is why I, I also say like, you know, startup isn't for everyone as well. Uh, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing because not everyone is cut out to do everything and in every way. So startup can be like, like these are the challenges to what you see behind the glamorous of like also the startup. Because the on the other side of things, the, the glamour what you also get is like in, in the startup like where like uh, you, you get to be on the front phase as well when you do really like you know deliver something. The other thing is you actually uh, can make uh, like you can be on the the front line to really make an impact as well to your own product, and uh, you can proudly uh, start calling yeah this is my product, which is not necessarily something uh, a luxury you might get always in an MNC as well. Hmm, I do agree. Actually, quite a lot of um, people that I speak to that move into startups, they also want to launch something they can call their own, which is why they normally do move there. I mean, like now, I mean, thanks for your input and your, um, your ideas. I mean, for now, we're moving on to the last question. So it's actually uh, on the topic of remote working. So, I mean, 48% of the tech, um, the tech workforce work are now fully remote. I mean, companies like Airbnb, you know, 3M, you know, Coinbase, HubSpot, are well-known tech companies, they're all fully remote right now. I mean, I know both of you guys have a hybrid kind of remote working structure right now in your companies. And do you guys feel that that has put a bit of a strain to color, to creating more and more collaborative team or has that been better or worse? Or how do you combat any of the challenges face? Um, Rajindu? Sure. Um, so uh, when I actually joined Pulse, uh, Pulse was my first experience where it was uh, the remote first uh, culture. So even at LSCG, uh, even before that, even, uh, we, we had uh, remote working engagements, like where you have uh, like on-site teams, off-site teams, you know, engaging and you have like service providers in uh, like an off-site and you engage, but it, it never felt like you are actually engaging in a remote working culture because uh, you were very, very much free to travel um, and you know you meet you you do your brainstorming in a room uh, in front of a whiteboard you uh, people get to draw and do stuff right so um, uh, so even before the pandemic we uh, at pulse we had the the remote working culture and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, was there before at pulse is uh, while we were being remote, one of the other uh, the things that I noticed was we were very distributed, um, which actually, like, you know, uh, to be honest, to my liking, was not very helpful because uh, I've got engineers. I had engineers where uh, they were from, you know, the East European side to Australia to Singapore, KL, Philippines, India. Like, it just all over. It worked in a way when you really look at also that that your client portfolios and in terms of your support system that you really need to work. But at the same time, when you really try to build a product, uh, it put a lot of strain onto it. Uh, three years fast forward today, uh, we've made certain adjustment in terms of the way that we also operate. Uh, we do still uh, like you know uh, work on the, the remote first concept. But in terms of that remote first, we made certain adjustment in terms of the way that we actually distribute our teams. So um, we don't necessarily go all out and say, okay, let's have like you know multiple nodes of like the teams you know distributed. Uh, we have like you know uh, primarily three concentrated nodes across like teams. We have Singapore, we have Kuala Lumpur, and Sri Lanka, where we have the teams are uh, primarily concentrated at. And within that, what we do is within each of those teams, we adopt an hybrid model uh, at different frequencies. For example, Singapore, we we have the hybrid model more of 50-50, KL. 
again 50 50 but whereas like uh, the other country uh, sri lanka we it's not so much 50 50 but allowing them to really uh, engage uh, not purely remote as well because it still helps for you to face i mean we are humans after all uh, the other part of the remote working culture that things that we have learned and adopted is the communication. So one thing that you do miss when you uh, when you are not in an office is small things. For example, when when I used to walk into like you know the office, like I would just wave and say, "Hey, good morning. How are you? What did you have for dinner last night? You know, did you watch the game?" Like you just you know that. Uh, uh, morning conversation. So something that we have uh, instigated within the organization in the last you know, couple of, I would say the last uh, three, four months is we've got the team to say, when you come, like when you start your day, just say good morning. We have a, a specific channel. So and, uh, nothing, uh, nothing major. You just come and say good morning team. How are you? Very, very simple, right? Uh, so we use Slack for our communication. So same goes when you're leaving because in a physical office, when you go, you won't just, you know, just, you know, vanish. Unless, of course, you know, you want to do something like trying to, you know, uh, like leave your boss away and all. But usually you would say, hey, I'm going by, you know, or you could be even leaving early, but that's okay. You're still saying to the team, guys, I'm leaving. So we have adopted that culture, small things. Um, and then in terms of Slack, like as a communication channel, we have seen it's very powerful, like slight things like you, know, you put your uh, statuses, like when you're going away for lunch or when you're in a meeting, it just makes you feel like, okay, I see where this person is at. What is this person? So whether I should be bothering this person, whether I should be speaking to this person, when I can I actually like, you know, have a chat with this person. So uh, communications still is very important, uh, be it virtual, we still have to do it. I think that, uh, those are the things that we have adapted and learned our way uh, along these times. And Mount, is, is, is this the same kind of practice that your company is facing uh, doing as well to handle kind of a remote culture? <clears throat> yeah, so we are adopting a sort of like remote first mindset, regardless of how we work. So it it kind of how it, it really depends on the teams, but we do we have adopted a very hybrid approach. Uh, the reason for that is because I think you then leverage the best of both worlds. I, I personally don't think full remote is the best, but I don't think fully in person is the best, uh, just because of the classic, right? If you fully remote, uh, what may happen to some people is that they'll feel a bit uh, isolated. Or maybe, you know, some people don't feel comfortable talking the whole day through video and, and, and meetings, right? Uh, and some people, they find the office very noisy and too, much, too many interruptions. So that's why we're really sort of adopting the hybrid model where the idea is to really push to have the best of both worlds. Um, something that we are also trying to push for is to have a bit of focus time on your agenda every week and protect it. The reason for that is because if you want to go remote first uh, or of that sort of mindset, we can also call that as a, um, how to call it, like written first, as in you need to write down. Like you need to make sure you document or you 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 have a, a, um, a documentation practice, right? And if you do that, then you need to sit down, you need to write, and then you also need to read. And sometimes if you're like running in between meetings, that's super hard to do. Um, so that's sort of the approach we're taking. And nowadays it's so easy. Like you've got something that we're doing. Slack is for communication, but not for documentation. So decisions made go on to Confluence or Notion. We've, we've now been 
moving away from confluence more into Notion because then Notion we can have everyone, but just the tech teams. Um, but so we we particularly use a lot Notion, Miro, and Figma, and Figjam for a lot of the uh, collaboration. When we do brainstorming, we do Miros, and it really nowadays with the tools that exist out there, it's it really sometimes even better. Like sometimes we meet in the office physically, but we are using a Miro board. So it's like, it's, it's, it's become very interconnected, the whole thing. Um, and then the, 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 the last one is, I, to what Rashindu was saying, you know, when, on the challenge he had with having a very distributed team, I agree. Uh, when you have a very distributed team, you really need to get very good at uh, asynchronous communication. One tool that I love for that is loom.com which basically lets you record the screen, record you as well. So it, it makes it very human. If you want to give that support, where, you know, make it a bit like, hey, this is my tone of voice. You can see me, my expressions, you can see my screen as well. Uh, and you can even speed up the convert the video. So you can even make that 15 minute meeting that could have been an email, well, you can make it a five minute video and still be human, right? Um, so I love Looms, but I don't want to, I don't like to overdo them. Then, um, where I was getting to that is on the time, the, the time zone is what I've noticed, which is to me a, a trend that makes sense is companies are starting to hire within specific time zones, right? So, okay, plus three, minus three, and that's where they want you to be from a given location. And I thought that was a, it's a good workaround. It's like still remote, but like some people are trying to make it work, which I think it's your case that pulls idea of Rashindu. And I think it's the same for us at Conhaco where, we we have a bit of certain people are a bit more distributed, but more more of us, most of us are in, in in Asia. Yeah, I mean, certainly interesting. I mean, thanks for that. Thanks for both of your contributions. I mean, it's certainly interesting how people are combating all you know, finding ways to work around the new the new normal. I would say. Um, yeah, so I mean, we'll leave it at there today. I think we did run a little bit over time, but I mean, very very interesting to hear both your contributions and your thoughts. Um, I mean, um, this has been the Evolution and Exchange podcast, and I would like to take the opportunity to thank both of you for, you know, the insights to this topic. And also thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Rashindu. Thank you, Daniel. Nice to meet you, Mark, as well.